This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore, and welcome to this episode of Rumble with Michael Moore. We are recording this. Uh, it hasn't even been really 24 hours since we got the results in from this week's primary elections around the country, and the results were very, very good. On an overall basis, I would say it was probably one of many indications and actually I think public statements made by the electorate this year in terms of what they want to see done. And after having suffered through five plus months of this uh, pandemic, people are very, very clear about a number of things and the people they want representing them in Congress, in their state houses, in their prosecutor offices. It was a great day this Tuesday here and a great night. And it's been a great (laughs) day after and two days after whatever whenever you're listening to this it um it's something that we have been behind since we started rumble a number of months ago that we need a change and we need a change on our side of things there have been people that have maybe done good in the past or meant to do good or whatever but we don't have time to wait anymore and i think that's been very clear since the virus took hold, since the murder of George Floyd, um, everything that everybody's been suffering through and for, and we're now the first week after the $600 of unemployment help was stripped from millions uh, of Americans. And there are people listening to this I know right now that have had a very stress-filled week, wondering what you're going to do, how you're going to pay the rent, Uh, Will you be evicted? Will there be food? All of these unnecessary uh, worries and fears. But as we've all learned in the past, it benefits those in power to have us jumping, jump, jump higher. (laughs) Be afraid. Be very afraid of us, those in power. Yes, be very afraid. Well, I think we're in the process of huge, huge, huge change and changes taking place. And so... We woke up this morning, we were going to do something different uh, tonight on the, on the podcast, and then, you know, we were, just, we were feeling so good about what had happened yesterday in the primaries with the progressive wins, the state of Missouri voting, the people of Missouri, big red state, voting to expand Medicaid, something that their Republican governor and their president is very much against, and they just said to hell with that, and they voted Missouri to expand Medicaid. We're going to get into talking about all the these races and, and what happened and and where we go from here because obviously our, our work is not over. But we thought, wow, the you know the, really the best person, and she's probably not free today because it's the day after all these victories that she and 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 her troops um, helped to help to make happen. So uh, just on a lark, we gave her a call. She is, was and is very busy today. Um, but decided to take a few minutes here with us to talk about our success last night. Our guest uh, today is the executive director of Justice Democrats. This is the group, if you haven't heard of them, I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, they're the people who approached Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to run. They They were behind a lot of people in the 2018 election who were running 
and 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 had a number of victories, some losses, had a number of victories last night. But we first ran across the Justice Democrats people because we were out filming Alexandria while she was going door to door in the winter of early 18, where she when she was polling, I think around 2% in the New York polls and had no chance of winning. And then and one of the producers of, because I was making this film, Fahrenheit 11.9, wow, what are you, why are we going to, it costs us, sometimes it can cost up to $10,000 a day when you're shooting a movie. Why are we spending this money on somebody who's polling at 2%? And we just thought, I don't, because, well, one of our producers had gone and, and met her and, 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 and knew a couple of the Justice Democrats people and said, hey, uh, there's something going on here. Really? Yeah. And in fact, not just with, not just with, the, she, she wasn't called AOC then, uh, but not just with her, but other, other districts around the country. We should, we should really kind of, we need to know these justice Democrats because uh, they got something going here. And so I just said, okay, <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's just spend the money. We have no, no but that's, I, listen, if you knew me or if you worked on my crew, you know, that's how I work. It's just like something feels right and we just do it. And that's how we came to know uh, justice uh, Democrats. And, and we followed uh, Alexandria during her campaign. And then she of course won the primary. And then that was pretty much it after that. Well, it wasn't it because once she took office, uh, her and the squad uh, and others, we began to see that things could be different. Things could be better. I'd like to welcome here uh, as our guest, the executive director of Justice Democrats, one of its co-founders um, and somebody, if you don't know her, you need to know her because she is, is, has been, and will be very much responsible for whether or not we elect progressive candidates to office and have some true power uh, in this country. Uh, please welcome Alexandra Rojas to Rumble. Welcome, Alexandra. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank, thank you. And thank you for all that you've done. So let's just get right into it. What happened on Tuesday of this week? Uh, a political earthquake. I, I think what we saw were uh, all of the opportunities that we as a movement have to, you know, expand down ballot, especially at the federal level. And with Cori Bush in Missouri, this was just a huge upset. Tell people who Cori is and uh, what her background is and, and, and who she defeated. Absolutely. Um, well, to set the scene a little bit, uh, Cori, Cori Bush uh, is you know, a candidate for Congress. She was running as a Justice Democrat. She was actually our first one uh, that we launched back when, in, in 2017. Um, and she was running in Missouri's first congressional district, which encompasses St. Louis City County, and it, and it also includes Ferguson. And this is really the epicenter of the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2014, right? Activists like Corey, uh, you know, stood in the streets for more than 400 consecutive days in response to Darren Wilson's acquittal over the murder of Mike Brown. And since then, St. Louis and over the past decade has continued to struggle uh, with violence, especially on police shootings. But it's also, at least within the city, there's a 20-year life expectancy gap right, between white and black people. Uh, and so th that is sort of uh, the context of what's happening in the city conditions-wise. And then you have a political dynasty, a, a family that's been in, in power for over 50 years um, and referencing this congressional seat um, and was a pretty, pretty key pillar in the black establishment. 
And so just in this moment, right, seeing what's happened with the pandemic, just really putting on the accelerator, unfortunately, all of our previously <laughs> undealt with problems across our economy and our society, uh, it's really clear to, to voters uh, what it means to rise in this moment, what it means to be uh, a leader. And Cori Bush throughout her entire life has demonstrated that by being at, like I said, back in 2014, being out on the streets for over 400 days with a ton of other uh, amazing St. Louis uh, young leaders and a registered nurse, an ordained pastor, a single mom, someone who got COVID and survived it and kept going, who lost before and kept going. I just can't, I can't, I'm, I'm in utter awe of the tenacity of, of Cori Bush and well, I didn't know. I didn't know she had COVID nineteen. Or, or she had COVID nineteen symptoms. She had, she, yeah, she had to go through that. Wow, it's an amazing story because so, so here you have someone who was w- one of the key activists around uh, Mike Brown's murder there in uh, in Ferguson, and and as you said, you that you she ran two years ago, lost, decided to come back. I'm sure everybody was telling her this year why. <laughs> I mean. It, it was clear you couldn't do it in 18. And look who you're going up against. You're going up against a 19 year, right? 19 year uh, incumbent, uh, uh, William Lacey uh, Clay. His dad had held the seat for 30 years, I think, right? Before that? Yeah. Okay. So since 1969, father and son have run this district, have owned it. So her chance of winning, let's just be honest. If you and I were doing this conversation, you know, three days ago before the election, I'm sure you, well, you would have been very upbeat and, and hopeful and, and you probably knew because you'd been on the ground. So you knew that actually we had an excellent chance, but to somebody like myself or somebody not there, it would just be like, oh, she's going to have to lose again. Oh, and then boom. And I mean, boom. I mean, this was, this is exactly. When AOC defeated the, uh, what, uh, he was like here in New York, it was like the fourth, um, fourth in line there amongst the Democratic leadership uh, yeah. back in um, back in 2018 in Congress, and 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 tossed him out. The people tossed tossed him out and put her in. So this was just this was an amazing thing that happened in St. Louis, and that and she doesn't represent just Ferguson. I mean, she represents a large part of of St. Louis and, and the area there. And, and they decided just two years later after saying they didn't want her, uh, we need her now, now 2020, this is who we have to send to Congress, Corey Bush. Yeah. I mean, they don't, when people say they don't have a chance, it's because, you know, it's until we do something about it. And that's what I hope is a huge takeaway from this race for our movement this should have been in a lot of ways very easy in the sense of what we the backdrop that we just laid right that makes this moment so monstrous and historic and i you know folks like Corey really really deserve it and there are going to be more our future is very bright <laughs> when it comes to the bench of people that we have that like Corey have gone through so much but are so ready to get in the fight um, and that's why we we exist and so many other institutions like the Sunrise Movement and Data for Progress and all of these other key national organizations that couple with these local movements that are happening on the ground uh, that despite, you know, um, not having the resources, although in this case, we were able to, you know, gather those together quickly at the very end, 
uh, put put folks over the top. And so just just again to reemphasize, it's not just in New York, it's in Missouri, it's it's and it can be in in every part of the country. It doesn't have to just be the AOC once in a lifetime candidates. We can we can work for it together. So I think that that's a really hopeful thing. I'm. I'm trying to take out of this and, and looking forward to Alex Morse coming up, um, Cara Eastman, who, who's running out in Nebraska, who we're going to unseat, Don Bacon, who's a Republican down there. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to translating the, the momentum. But you've been, you've been also, you've been unseating Democrats who've been maybe in office a bit too long and, um, and who are not right. understanding what time it is that we're in. That's and I, th- I, like you said, I think the huge takeaway from Tuesday is, and I want people listening who are listening right now, wherever you're listening to this around the country. And, and even if you're not in this country and you're, thank you for listening, by the way, uh, thank you for caring about us Americans. Um, but, but I know there are people right now, you know, you've had this, this member of Congress, uh, in there a bit, a bit too long and is not as responsive as he needs to be. Usually he, if I can use that pronoun, I think that would be inaccurate regarding the people we're talking about. And um, um, you have to not think any longer that this can't happen, that we can't ever run somebody and actually win. This happened in in a red state, um, as Alexandra just said. Not, not, this didn't happen in New York City yesterday. Um, it happened in Missouri. If it can happen there, it can happen in your district. I mean, I just, I hope people are hearing what you're saying here because because not only, as you said, is an earthquake. The New York Times, I think, said uh, something I was listening to earlier. They called it a landslide in Detroit for Rashida Tlaib. Uh, Rashida uh, won her primary two years ago by 900 votes. She had to run against the same person again this time that, that her opponent was is and was the president of the Detroit City Council, a well-known political person uh, in, in Detroit. This time, Rashida did not win by 900 votes over over her uh, opponent. She won by, I think it was almost 30,000. Is that right? Yeah. 30,000 votes. She won 60,000 votes to 30,000 votes. A landslide, a massive uh, uh, affirmation of her in Congress. And, and knowing her and what she's had to go through, um, I was with her the night. Well, we were traveling around Iowa for Bernie and um, uh, somebody had mentioned Hillary's name <laughs> on the stage. They were having a discussion. There's like 5,000 people there. And when Hillary's name was mentioned, Rashida just cathartically, uh, well, you know, she, just, she doesn't have the filter that was put inside of most of us that shouldn't be there. And we should work on getting that filter out of there as much as possible. She just boos. <laughs> she just hears the Hillary's name and she just goes boo. And man, that was everywhere on the internet and in the media for days and days and people telling her, this is why you're going to lose. This is why you're going to lose. You're not a team player. Um, you're, you um, are, you know, pro-Palestinian. You're this or that. She is Palestinian. So it's hard to be not pro-Palestinian. She's a Palestinian American. But um, and yet here here we are celebrating her victory this week. What, what, what was your what was your reaction to that? Because Rashida is also known for on the, the night that she was sworn into Congress, they were having, having a big victory party there in D.C. and and uh, uh, you might have been there actually. <laughs> she took the 
the, to the microphone and, and uh, made her pronouncement about uh, Trump's, hopefully, Trump's impeachment. The, F, the F-bomb moment. Yeah. Bullies don't win. And I no. said, baby, they don't. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the motherfucker. So, so tell us, what does this victory for Rashida mean? Rashida, at least in, in my opinion, I'm, I'm sure many other people know this just by the way that she, what she exuberates, but she's one of the fiercest campaigners, like set aside progressive or not. She's just one of the fiercest campaigners I've ever met. And she's serious. She knocks on every door. She yeah. engages every person um, in her district, whether they agree with her or not. And she has worked nonstop the past couple of years to build up her constituent services. And so I, I, I think uh, it may be a shock to folks that have doubted her, but it's very clear that she has not only embodied like so much of America and, and, and her district, I think also just what she means for, for this country. She's a beloved figure in Detroit and, and uh, throughout the state of Michigan. Uh, people, we've known her for a long time. Um, I, when I, I was writing a couple days ago, encouraging people to get out and, and vote for her, I said that she has led so many civil disobedience demonstrations in and around Detroit that she's, she's been arrested more times than I've made movies. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> she's such a badass. She's so badass and fierce. That's a great word. She is fierce, but, but it's not, it's not, uh, for show. She she does exactly what you just said. I mean, I've gone door to door with her. You can't keep up with her, first of all. But she is she knocks on every door. Her goal is to knock on every door in the district and then start over and knock a second time. And and she will stand there and talk to people. She'll listen to their problems. She'll have an idea of where they can get some help. You know, the day that she uh, dragged me along, I loved how she just dealt with everybody. And you're right. If they weren't for her, if they were going to vote for Republican, she hugged them. Just as hard as she hugged anybody. Her district, it's the third poorest district in the country. It is close to, it's 60 to 70% African-American. She's not African-American. She's Palestinian-American. And African-Americans uh, uh, gone to the polls now twice to say that this is who they want to representing them. And it was, it's, it's very moving when you see this, uh, this uh, interaction and, um, and, you know, when you, if you lived in Detroit, let me tell you, the level of despair um, that exists, the, the sense of we're never going to climb out of this hole that they've shoved us down in, um, the cavalry is not coming to save us. And, you know, so many people just in 2016 in Detroit and Flint decided not to, just not to vote, just to, the sense of giving up. I don't know if you've seen this around the country, Alexandra, but there are those places where people have, have given up um, and she will not let you give up. And she lets you know that she's fighting for you. You know, she's not, she doesn't represent a district of Palestinian Americans, although there is a large, a large, it's the part of Detroit that butts up to Dearborn, which has probably the per capita, the largest Arab or Muslim community in the country, but she's there for everybody and she pours her whole heart and soul into it. It's an amazing thing to witness. If you're if you're a Michigander, you already know this. If you're not, pay close attention to what she's going to be doing with her second term. That's what I'd say. Yeah, and I I mean, like you said, like in terms of the significance of her, not just winning re-election, but winning it decisively, uh, you know, needs to put to rest the notion that 
you know, progressives can't represent places like the Midwest and that uh, folks like Rashida are vulnerable or out of touch with ordinary Americans when in fact that they're, um, yeah, they're, they're deeply representative um, of the spirit of where America is at right now. So I, I think it's huge for her winning. So there's all that going on. I know there's things going on with state houses. I know some people in Michigan that won their primary, uh, very progressive uh, people. If they, if they win in November, it'll be very good for the, for the state of Michigan. But I, I started hearing from friends all around the country here in the last 24 hours about uh, the good things that happened uh, in their areas. You mentioned a, a couple of people earlier that you're looking forward to here either in the near future or t- tell us about other potential uh, congressional districts that uh, progressives have a chance of winning. Yeah, I think, you know, we've got the next uh, and last primary of the cycle is Alex Morse out in Missouri's first district, at least for our slate at Justice Democrats. Um, And so that's where all of our focus and energy is over the next three weeks. His election is on September 1st, uh, and he's going up against Richard Neal, who is corporate America's favorite congressperson. Um, He is one of the, I think he's number two in being the highest recipient of of corporate dollars of any congressperson, Democrat or Republican. Um, He also is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, which, you know, I believe has jurisdiction over pretty much every program that's tied to taxes. And uh, when we think about funding universal health care, when we think about, uh, you know, all of the different bills that we're going to need to pass for the projects associated with the Green New Deal, it's going to go through that committee. So the direction of uh, what what we do there is pretty fundamental to what, you know, what, where we want to go with, with at least those two examples of issues. Uh, and Richard Neal has been in staunch opposition to Medicare for all. He doesn't like it uttered in the, in the chamber. Uh, and he also uh, recently within the pandemic where you've heard about stories where folks are getting $35,000, $75,000 medical bills after getting COVID treatment, uh, the, you know, he's killed surprise medical bill or legislation that would remove surprise medical billing even in the midst of what's happening right now and within the democratic party. Uh, and so again, like the importance of backing people that not just say, you know, I support healthcare uh, access and, and rhetoric, but being very specific about, you know, advocating for single payer universal Medicare for all in this moment. Um, and that's where Alex Morris, he's gotten the support of uh, Massachusetts nurses, which is, I think it's like the largest union, nurses union in, in Massachusetts. Uh, and so that, that's huge uh, for, for us and for our movement, I think, to really set the tone heading into 2021, right? When we think about um, when hopefully Biden uh, defeats Trump and having uh, not just Jamal and Corey, who are it's incredible incredible that we've sent them there, but it will be really, really incredible if we can, you know, switch the direction of uh, this committee that is, you know, pretty key to unlocking yes. some of our key priorities. So I think that's the importance of, of Alex's race right now. So Alex, this is Alex Morris, and this is where in Massachusetts? Massachusetts first district. And that encompasses which cities? Alex is currently the mayor of Holyoke, um, and he's been mayor okay, for- yeah. Yeah, about eight years now. That part of Massachusetts, yeah. Yeah, and born and raised. Um, and so Springfield, 
uh, Berkshire area. Yeah. Right. So, and what do you think the chances are? I think we're going to win. Oh. But I think we only win if we, and everybody listening in, uh, put in the work to do it. And right now, uh, Nancy Pelosi actually dropped this morning alongside Richard Neal of an ad uh, talking about how fierce of a leader he is in fighting Trump in Congress. uh, And, um, you know, and Neal himself is starting to what looks like, um, at least of what's public, starting to spend a little bit more. They're nervous. Um, they they not they they see us coming twice now, <laughs> uh, right. and so I think that means that even though I think we're doing an incredible job across all facets of the campaign, we've got a lot to make up um, from the fact that you know he's corporate America's favorite congressperson, and we've got a we've the only way you defeat a machine like that right is with a movement. So I think that's where we're focused on. Right, right. So just for people keeping score at home, uh, uh, Neil, the, the incumbent congressman, is a Democrat. Uh, when Alexandra says this is corporate America's uh, favorite uh, congressman, she's talking about a Democrat. That We have a number of these corporate Democrats uh, who are in Congress and who are not necessarily representing the will of the people. They're representing the will of their backers. They're representing the will of Wall Street. And so Alex, Alex is going up against uh, uh, somebody who they never would have thought would have any trouble getting reelected 10 more times. And now all of a sudden, here comes here comes the AOC of, of Massachusetts. Here comes the Rashida of Springfield. So, yes, any, any, <laughs> anybody, <laughs> you, you can tell them I, I called them that live, to, speaking to a few hundred thousand people. Um, but uh, no, but seriously, folks, if you have any family, friends, people who live in Western Massachusetts, uh, this, I mean, and you know, this is one of the nicest actually areas of the country, it, not just in terms of its beauty and culture and, uh, you know, do- a dozen universities in a very small confined area, but um, it's, it's also the good people, good, good people of Western Massachusetts. And they are not, their values, their politics, what they believe in, the way they want to see this country work and come out of this pandemic as a different place, a good place. Uh, that person who's representing them right now in Congress, uh, he is not doing that. And so that means they're not being represented, yeah. pure, pure and simple. Absolutely. So, yes. So I second what Alexandra said about if you live there, please get involved in the campaign right now. The, the date of the uh, election is uh, September 1st, right? It's September 1st. And if you don't live there, you can go to alexmorseforcongress.com and send them a dollar, two dollars, five bucks, 50 bucks, whatever you got, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot. Um, to topple someone that's got a lot of these these resources. So volunteer if you're in the district and if you're out of the district um, and you don't have much time, even a buck really does help. So if you want to give uh, to Alex Morse uh, to bring down this this uh, corporate congressman, well, you go online at uh, Alex Morse, A-L-E-X-M-O-R-S-E, for Congress, spell it out, for, F-O-R, congress.com. Help them out if you're there. Hey, even if you're not in Western Mass and and you're and you're taking all the social uh, and health precautions that you need to take right now, beautiful place to spend the last couple of weeks of your summer. Uh, 
in Western Mass. It really is. Uh, so if you have a safe way to do that, uh, you know, think about going there and helping. Uh, we can get one more seat in Congress. Sp- speaking of one more seat, Jamal Bowman in the Bronx uh, in New York, Bronx, and I think maybe a little bit of Westchester County, won the primary. He beat how long How long was, uh, was uh, Elliot Engel? Democrat representing the Bronx and, and Westchester there. I believe 31 years. Jamal, who I believe had never been elected to anything, but was very involved in his community and knew what was going on, decided to take him on and beat him. And again, not by 10, 10, 10 votes. I mean, beat him. And it was just like, you go, wow, there's something going on here. And Everybody should pay attention to this because none of these, these corporate Democrats, the people that have been around forever voting the same way on these issues that oh, it makes it look like they're doing some nice things and they're good liberals and, you know, this and that, but we are, we're still stuck. Why do we, why are we, do we still have a $7 and 25 cent minimum wage? Why do we, why are so many uh, African-Americans and Hispanics incarcerated in this country? Why, 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 why do the police keep on killing black men? Why, why, why? And, you know, during this time, we for at least eight years, we had a Democrat in the White House. And for the first two years of his administration, the Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. And we, we can't get squat done. And I think, I, I mean, Alexandra, isn't this one of the reasons Justice Democrats came about because it's like, man, if we are sitting around waiting for the DNC, the Democratic Party, to to save us, that's just not going to happen, folks. Yeah. Um, we're, we need to get involved and save ourselves. I, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, if we are ever to get to a place like you referenced before, to Democratic majorities, which we've had the opportunity to do big things on health care, and, and we have taken giant steps, uh, but haven't gone all the way, it's going to be ever more important, the role of justice Democrats in Congress um, to push to uh, pass, to obviously pass uh, big pieces of legislation, but I think actually implement them and hold leadership, uh, hold uh, all the tops of the ticket accountable. Um, And so that is going to be, you know, um, hopefully we, we, we get, <laughs> we win the Senate, we win the house, we win the presidency. And that's the reality that we, we face. And now more than ever, the pressure is mounting to deliver and progressives have to be, you know, the ones that as clearly as demonstrated right now and in, in, in Congress, it's very difficult to do that. And it's very difficult to imagine right now, right? A world where we do have democratic majorities when we have Trump in the white house and, Mitch McConnell controlling the Senate, but if we're able to to get to that point, um, the role of Justice Democrats and what we're building in Congress is 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 so important. Regardless, it is, but especially if if we get to a point where um, we have another m- moment like we did uh, back when o- o- you know discussions around Obamacare and Medicare for all were were being had. So, so yeah, so Justice Democrats have to be involved, not just in electing people to office, but once in office, then the organization that has to happen, the organizing and the, and 
and pulling together millions and millions of Americans to demand these changes. That if we end up with this, I hate to say if, when we went up, end up with this Democratic House, Democratic Senate, and a Democrat in the White House, that we can't sit back and think it's just going to magically happen. What is, what, walk us through, run down essentially the platform of Justice Democrats in terms of the, 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 the reason that you're helping and you've been helping these candidates run and win is because Justice Democrats wants to see certain things happen in this country, in our, and especially in our Congress. Just walk us through uh, some of the, some of the uh, really important things that, that, that you've been advocating. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're working to elect this mission-driven caucus in the House that's going to fight for bold, progressive solutions that match the scope and scale of, of our crises. And I think really laying out how big the problems are, especially in, you know, especially in the way that we've responded, responded to this pandemic as a country in comparison to the industrialized world uh, is, we feel is incredibly necessary just to connect that um, concept with the urgency of this moment. And I think failed, failed leadership being really highlighted Um, and then use that to talk about big ideas like a green new deal um, where we re-envision our economy by centering those that we've historically left out um, like indigenous folks, black and brown communities, uh, frontline communities that are going to be most deeply impacted and we turn our greatest existential threat into our greatest opportunity. We rebuild, uh, or we, we rebuild the economy of, of the future, truly. Um, and, you know, that's a whole conversation, right, with all these different policies that go within that. Uh, I think for Medicare for All has been huge. And working alongside allies like National Nurses United and, um, other, you know, the entire coalition of the Medicare for All working group ha- has do- done so much to... Um, lay the groundwork again for for moments where we have to really um, push public opinion to to on these issues and and obviously the unfortunate circumstances um, highlight why we why we need universal health care deeply. Um, I think democracy reform uh, is is uh, pretty pretty big as well. Um, yeah, when we think about our critical. campaign finance system, when we think about. Yeah. Um, the ability for voters to to access the the voting booth or even to be able to have the ability to vote in this country is huge. Um, we could go on and on, I think, with the laundry list of things that we're fighting for the full universal style. But I think the the big thing that we do that's different is that we recruit candidates that come from their communities that are diverse, that are working class, that represent you know the extraordinary ordinary aspect of regular working people. Um, that are, you know, heroes in their own right, whether they're nurses or principals or union workers. Um, there's all of these, inc- there's thousands of them across the country. Um, and their lived experiences is what inform them on how they fight so hard. And they're accountable, right, to a movement local in the case of like, you know, Corey, right, the local Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and national one, and us also, you know, folks like the Sunrise Movement who have championed the Green New Deal um, and, and folks like us who are who are also, you know, contributing on the national movement side. So. When you're rec- when you're recruiting, how do you do that? I mean, where are how are you looking for and finding the people that you think should run for office and how do you approach them? How do you try to convince them? They might not have even been thinking about ever running for office. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, our current political system is not set up for working people to be able to have an easy time to make the decision on whether or not to run for office. Um, And so a lot of the feedback that we get from, you know, working people, uh, uh, because I think that there's all these people that do want to run that are incredible or they're at least interested in the idea if maybe they don't want to run because a lot of times they, they actually don't, they need to be, they need to be pushed, but it's, it's infrastructure problems, right? Like, do I have the resources to do this? It's concerns about the toll that it's going to take personally and on their family, uh, the incumbency challenging the de- with, especially for primary challenges, challenging uh, the power structures that be within the democratic party and, and what's on the Hill. Uh, and so all of those things are really mounting, but we we try to implement a lot of different ways to recruit candidates. But the foundation is, if you go to our website, like literally right now, justicedemocrats.com slash nominate, we want everybody to send in folks that have been, uh, that they feel like are leaders in their families, in their communities, in their workspaces, just all different parts of our economy and society that are doing these extraordinary, ordinary things. Um, and then what we, we, we use that form to, to spread the word to on, on, you know, through paid means, like we tested it out uh, this past cycle where we put up, you know, a nomination ad in a local newspaper in Texas and Jessica Cisneros' old high school teacher saw it and nominated her. Um, we do a lot of local power mapping just to get a sense of like what the issues are important in the district. And we literally start like four or five months out, even before we find a candidate, just to get to know what, what folks care about. Um, and, and, and so it's pretty detailed, at least from the, the amount of time that we have to spend, I think, to be able to move quickly on just talking to as many folks as possible about who is doing the work, quote unquote, in whatever, you know, issue area is really important to folks. And, you know, in the case of Jamal Bowman, their name, his name came up, you know, repeatedly as someone that, that has been just recognized in the progressive movement statewide in New York, especially around education. And then we do our own prioritization too, right? Like we do our own assessment of like qualitative, quantitative data, um, the narrative of, of, of the district, and then make our internal prioritizations just because we're, we're still small dollar. Our average contribution is about 17 bucks. So we've got a, we're very mindful of where we were able to weigh in and, and really make a difference. And are, are most of you young adults uh, that are, are organizing this and, and helping to run it? Our oldest staffer is is over 70. So it's not just young people. And we've got folks that are within our 40s, 50s. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll, a lot of us are young at the same time. We're a small but mighty team. I think we've, yeah, we've got like 17 people now. Um, yeah. I just remember back in 2018 feeling really old. <laughs> Because it really, it was so cool to see, uh, you know, how many young people were really. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Out there and doing this and really thinking smartly about how we can win. Um, it's, it's, you know, a lot of liberals aren't really kind of uh, engaged in that concept of, of strategy like that. And it's, um, but let yeah, me, let I'm me 25. Add. Like the adults are not in the room, so I've had to. <laughs> I feel we've all felt compelled to to act. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been pretty cool to see Varshni at you know um, the Sunrise Movement and Sochi, who just started at the New York 
Working Families Party and just all of these different leaders throughout the movements, especially young women of color leaders who are um, taking up really big, big pieces of infrastructure to support these candidates and put them over the top. If somebody's listening to this right now, they're in North Carolina, they're in Oklahoma, they're in Wisconsin, and they're thinking to themselves right now, I think I need to be recruited. I need to, somebody needs to, I want to be part of it. I want to run for office. Yeah. I, I, I can be the AOC of Wisconsin. Um, you know, it's, it's, what, what do you say to them? I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking literally, I know right now people are listening to this and I know some of them are thinking, damn it. Why not me? I should do this. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say two things. And I know a lot of times everyone is like, for the first time, run for office, you have to do it. I'm actually the person that's like, I, I want to assess the, the situation um, is, is one thing like on a, on a personal level, because a lot of um, it, it is really hard to run for office. And I take, you know, as, as much as I criticize incumbents, going to become an elected official is incredibly difficult and to run for office, even with the support of organizations like us takes a lot. And so to really think about, think about that in, in general. And then secondly, uh, the, for folks that are, have either thought about it, but they're, they're hesitant on it, or you are thinking of not yourself, but maybe other folks, um, in your community that have, you know, transform your life or your, your friends or your family's life in one way or another, whether they're uh, a retail worker or they're leading and a hospital or, or, or a school, um, those folks, uh, you, it doesn't take very much. You can go to our nomination form. You should, you should send them in. Um, and moments like Cori Bush and, and uh, Jamal Bowman and AOC, I think should show that it's, it's worth taking that risk. And it also doesn't just have to be at the federal level. Um, it can be, there's like over 5,000 offices throughout the entire United States. And um, there's so many places where from school board to state house, um, we need to, to have contested. So I know something that I'm thinking about, and I think about it every day, and I think a lot of people listening to this are thinking about it, is that um, we have a, a Democratic candidate for president. Um, um, he's not the one that uh, you know I supported, and my friends didn't support. In fact, I couldn't. I honestly, God, if we could go back in the time tunnel, uh, and uh, two weeks before Super Tuesday, I don't think you could have found anybody who said that they were supporting Joe Biden. I mean, I'm not. That's, I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I mean, literally, I was out there on the road in Iowa, in New Hampshire. And, um, it, it was amazing. You could not find, first of all, you couldn't find Biden because he wasn't out there campaigning. And, and then you couldn't find Biden supporters. It was really, it was, and then it just within three days, the thing turned around and all of a sudden he's the presidential um, nominee. So, um, what do we do? What do we say about this? Because Trump has to go. And I don't know how there can be any if, ands, or buts around that. Um, but, uh, you know, you still hear from people that just, you know, they feel just awful about, you know, Bernie not making it. And, and then you hear from people who have le very legitimate concerns, either concerns about Biden or legitimate complaints about his history, his political history. Uh, wh what's your take on this? Because, uh, you know, what you're working toward doesn't work unless we, we need 
we need all three branches to fix the damage that's been done by Trump and actually damage that was done before Trump uh, to fix all this and to take us into a new place. Um, we, we need a real leader that's like, like an FDR type leader, a Bernie type leader. And I don't think anybody really sees that and are just, you know, sort of hemming and hawing us. Well, there's this new site that's up now called settle for Biden. And you take a pledge that you've decided to settle for Biden and you're going to get out there and vote. It's like, wow, that's, that's the bar. Um, so Alexander, take, take us through this, uh, because this is a very important discussion. I'm sure you have it uh, every day. Yeah. I'm incredibly empathetic to, uh, folks that I, I have so many disagreements with Joe Biden, um, and it's not that I want to be in a, a fear-based mindset, but Trump is really the most corrupt president in American history. And if we're thinking about the pathway to power and our North Star being the policy that we're trying to implement, our ability so far um, in moving Biden, at least with one example of uh, going from 2050 to 2035 in his climate plan, it's not everything, but that is massive in terms of how far he's he's moved there, and uh, you know having to negotiate with progressives like Barshney and AOC to get there, as opposed to uh, Republicans. And I know that he's not in power now, uh, but that just shows again. In addition to Cory Bush and Jamal winning, he's having to negotiate with progressives um, on these issues, and the pressure is mounting. Um, and like I was sort of alluding to before, uh, the work that we do is ever more important when Joe Biden wins. And it's necessary for him to win because we need, again, to be able to pass the legislation that we want um, within our lifetime. Uh, and the, the level of danger that Trump possesses and the Republican Party possesses and their ability to, uh, you know, have what they will at our Supreme courts and, you know, court systems around the United, the the country should, should really, we should really think about that as a movement. Um, And, and so I think I look forward to holding Joe Biden accountable. There's been significant shifts of him right now that show that we're, we're forcing him to the negotiating table. Um, But it, you know, we're going to have to be there for our, our Congress people next year. Um, that to, to, to push them to continue to hold, uh, folks like Joe Biden accountable. Um, and I, and I think, uh, the pressure mounting again, like you alluded to this, but it's not just having a vision, um, and saying words that you support these things. It's about executing. It's about actually showing results and like fixing our national supply chain across all levels of our economy and society. Uh, and, and that takes a lot of work and like leadership, like you said, um, and, uh, you know, that it's, it's going to be on Democrats to hold our own feet to the fire. If, if we end up see ourselves in power. It's, uh, yeah, it's only, it's just the national supply structure and everything else that we have to fix. I know it seems daunting, doesn't it? coming out of four years of Trump. But also to me, it's exhilarating to think about the possibility here of what could happen. And, and even Joe Biden in his own redemption, you know, think back to that, that moment where he just, he blurts out on that Sunday morning show about, you know, 
secretly he knows that Obama is against prohibiting uh, gay Americans from getting married. And all of a sudden that thing just that, you know, a few months later, the Supreme Court, it just happened. It just happened. And it happened because of Joe Biden's kind of weird, innocent um, faux pas, basically. And then all of a sudden everybody was talking about it. And then all of a sudden then it happened. You know, I don't know. Am I being too optimistic here when I think that even somebody like Joe Biden uh, can can turn toward the light, uh, can can be an unlikely hero and take us out of this mess? Or- well, I always, I, I always try to push back on anyone, I think, being being a hero right now, like you said earlier, I think that that it's ourselves and it's the movement that put people into office that hold them accountable. And with the conditions right now, with the pandemic and the the protests that have sweeped the country after the murders of George Floyd and so many other black uh, men and women, um, it's really, really, really difficult uh, to be fake right now when we have the realness of Corey Bush and, and, and Jamal Bowman, that is what's going to be on the congressional floor. That's what's going to be uh, able to, to, to go on with the courage of a movement behind them. Um, and so again, and, and it's not just, and, and this is for Joe Biden too, he'll be president and <laughs> dealing with a lot of other stuff, but is going to be thinking about the party. Like we need to be able to have these discussions legislatively We've proven ourselves by putting candidates like Cori Bush, like Jamal Bowman into the halls of Congress. Now, I hope that the Democratic Party, that leadership hears them out and hears what their constituents sent them on a mandate to do. And if they can't do that, then we're going to have to have those conversations electorally and continue to mount these challenges and normalize primaries and, and, and really, you know, instill the will of the people. Because in this case, like these policies are popular and we've demonstrated on numerous occasions with limited resources against everything uh, that we can do it. And, and, and so that they've got to listen at some point. So I think you're right. If they don't listen this time, if the Democrats don't listen, um, then it behooves all of us to, this is why you're building this movement. This is why it has to be a big movement because we will not be silent. We won't, we don't tell us one month after the administration, after you take over and, and, you know, tell us to, to keep it quiet. We got to take our time. We got to be, we got to be measured about this. No, no, we will be in the streets again. We will be organizing against you. You know, if you're in Congress and you're not there following the will of the people, you're going to be out in two years. They need to know that. They need to know that we will be relentless. And as you said, like about Rashida, we will be fierce. We will be heard. We will not be ignored. Again, we're not going to go have a replay of President Obama's first two years where we were supposed to all sing Kumbaya and try to get along with the Republicans or whatever. Absolutely not. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i speaking for myself. I don't mean, I'm, I'm not speaking for anybody else other than me. And anybody else who's listening to this and who agrees with that. Yeah. Cori Bush is the fifth challenger backed by Justice Democrats to unseat an incumbent. She organized a movement through pepper spray and rioting police in the streets of Ferguson. And her tenacity and her uh, her pursuit of justice is incredibly needed in Congress today. And this was made possible 
because of everyday people um, and our belief in the collective solidarity of everyday people when they come together, being able to do damn near anything. Um, and so if, if you all are interested in supporting our work, go to justicedemocrats.com. Um, check us out. We just actually redid our website <laughs> so you can, you can learn all about us and, and, and see all of the work we've been doing over the past couple of years and uh, see if it's, it's worth something investing your time in. Uh, but, but I'm feeling extremely hopeful about the future because of folks like Corey and Jamal, even in what is an incredibly dark time in, in our country with Donald Trump um, at the helm of it. And, uh, unfortunately, the pandemic of black and brown lives and, and globally what's happening. So, Well, well that's uh, beautifully put. And um, I endorse what you're doing 100%. And uh, we've needed this. We've needed you and your friends who are doing this. We've needed you for a long time. Thank you for um, coming to the forefront there a few years ago. And now, again, uh, in this very important year, thank you for what you did to help uh, elect some progressives on uh, this past uh, Tuesday and um, please keep up the good work. And those of you who are listening, uh, go to their website, uh, justicedemocrats.com. Um, uh, look it up. Think about it. Think, think about people in your community that should be running. You know, people right now, you've thought about this. Right? Yeah, that person should be our state rep. And sometimes it is, it is a middle school principal. You know, some, sometimes it's a vet. Sometimes it's a, uh, it's a vet or a vet, like a veterinary doctor <laughs> or a veteran from the armed forces. Somebody who's come back. Somebody who's seen the truth about what's going on. You know, sometimes it's a single mom, more single moms in Congress, more single moms in the state house, all that. So Alexandra, I'm just so grateful for the work you've done and that you continue to do. And we'll, we'll keep in touch. We're all, we're, you know, we're less than 90 days now uh, to the November 3rd election. And uh, we're going to be putting out some of our ideas here about all the things we need to be doing uh, to bring a tsunami of voters to the polls uh, on November 3rd. So thank you, Alexandra. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to all of you who've listened to this episode of Rumble with Michael Moore. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our uh, editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, and um, to all the people who've been supporting us uh, we we just surpassed the 14 millionth mark of uh, downloads and listens uh, here in just our few short months that we've been we've been putting Rumble together. 14 million of you have downloaded this uh, this podcast. That's just an amazing thing. I thank all of you. I thank you for joining us. Subscribe to it. It's free. Tell people about us. Pass us around. Send me an email. I read all my emails. Mike at michaelmore.com. Uh, or uh, leave a voicemail. I've got a vo- look. Look for the thing where it says "leave a voicemail." You can leave a one-minute voicemail. I listen to all my voicemails, so I'd love to hear from you. Um, thanks. We've got a lot of work to do, and um, we will succeed. I firmly believe this. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs>